0: Chapter One of The Devil in Iron. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Chenevere. The Devil in Iron, by Robert E. Howard, was first published in Weird Tales, August 1934. Chapter One. The fisherman loosened his knife in its scabbard. The gesture was instinctive, for what he feared was nothing a knife could slay, not even the saw-edged crescent blade of the Uetchi that could disembowel a man with an upward stroke. Neither man nor beast threatened him in the solitude which brooded over the castellated isle of Zapor. He had climbed the cliffs, passed through the jungle that bordered them and now stood surrounded by evidences of a vanished state. Broken columns glimmered among the trees, the staggering lines of crumbling walls meandered off into the shadows, and under his feet were broad paves cracked and bowed by roots growing beneath. The fisherman was typical of his race, that strange people, whose origin is lost in the gray dawn of the past and who have dwelt in their rude fishing huts along the southern shore of the sea of Valayat since time immemorial. He was broadly built, with long apish arms and a mighty chest, but with lean loins and thin bandy legs. His face was broad, his forehead low and retreating, his hair thick and tangled. A belt for a knife and a rag for a loincloth were all he wore in the way of clothing. That he was where he was proved that he was less dully incurious than most of his people. Men seldom visited Zapor. It was uninhabited, all but forgotten, merely one among the myriad isles which dotted the great inland sea. Men called it Zapor, the fortified, because of its ruins remnants of some prehistoric kingdom lost and forgotten before the conquering Hyborians had ridden southward. No one knew who reared these stones, though dim legends lingered among the Yuechi which half intelligibly suggested a connection of immeasurable antiquity between the fishers and the unknown island kingdom. But it had been a thousand years since any Yuechi had understood the import of these tales. They repeated them now as a meaningless formula, a gibberish framed by their lips by custom. No Uetchi had come to Zapur for a century. The adjacent coast of the mainland was uninhabited, a reedy marsh given over to the grim beasts that haunted it. The Fisher's Village lay some distance to the south on the mainland. A storm had blown his frail fishing craft far from his accustomed haunts and erected in a night of flaring lightning and roaring waters on the towering cliffs of the isle now in the dawn the sky shone blue and clear the rising sun made jewels of the dripping leaves he had climbed the cliffs to which he had clung through the night because in the midst of the storm he had seen an appalling lance of lightning fork out of the black heavens and the concussion of its stroke, which had shaken the whole island, had been accompanied by a cataclysmic crash that he doubted could have resulted from a riven tree. A dull curiosity had caused him to investigate, and now he had found what he sought, and an animal like uneasiness possessed him—a sense of lurking peril among the trees reared a broken dome-like structure built of gigantic blocks of the peculiar iron-like green stone found only on the islands of vilayet it seemed incredible that human hands could have shaped and placed them and certainly it was beyond human power to have overthrown the structure they formed but the thunderbolt had splintered the ton heavy blocks like so much glass reduced others to green dust, and ripped away the whole arch of the dome. The fisherman climbed over the debris and peered in, and what he saw brought a grunt from him. Within the ruined dome, surrounded by stone dust and bits of broken masonry, lay a man on the golden block. He was clad in a sort of skirt and a shagreen girdle. His black hair, which fell in a square mane to his massive shoulders, was confined about his temples by a narrow gold band. On his bare, muscular breast lay a curious dagger with a jeweled pommel, chagrin-bound hilt, and a broad crescent blade. It was much like the knife the fisherman wore at his hip, but it lacked the serrated edge and was made with infinitely greater skill. The fisherman lusted for the weapon. The man, of course, was dead—had been dead for many centuries. This dome was his tomb. The fisherman did not wonder by what art the ancients had preserved the body in such a vivid likeness of life, which kept the muscular limbs full and unshrunken, the dark flesh vital, The dull brain of the Uechi had room only for his desire for the knife with its delicate waving lines along the dully gleaming blade. Scrambling down into the dome, he lifted the weapon from the man's breast. And as he did so, a strange and terrible thing came to pass. The muscular dark hands knotted convulsively, the lids flared open, revealing great— dark magnetic eyes whose stare struck the startled fisherman like a physical blow he recoiled dropping the jeweled dagger in his perturbation the man on the dais heaved up to a sitting position and the fisherman gaped at the full extent of his size thus revealed his narrowed eyes held the uechi and in those slitted orbs he read neither friendliness nor gratitude he saw only a fire as alien and hostile as that which burns in the eyes of a tiger suddenly the man rose and towered above him menace in every aspect there was no room in the fisherman's dull brain for fear at least for such fear as might grip a man who has just seen the fundamental laws of nature defied. As the great hands fell to his shoulders, he drew his saw-edged knife and struck upward with the same motion. The blade splintered against the stranger's corded belly as against a steel column, and then the fisherman's thick neck broke like a rotten twig in the giant hands. End of chapter 1